The Walk the Mile podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which Skeg Starlinghurst stands, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. May our reconciliation be an ongoing process of love and compassion. Hello everyone, I'm Gary Lee Lindsay, school chaplain at Skeggs Darlinghurst, and you're listening to Walk the Mile, a podcast that opens up conversations that we need to have. Hello everyone, welcome to Walk the Mile. Thank you for listening. Today we have one of our old girls, our special old girls, who's still been involved with uh, Skeggs for, for a number of years after she finished. This is Julie McCrossan. How are you, Julie? I'm very good. Very good. Thank you. That's great. Great to have you here with us today. What year, if you don't mind, what year did you finish here at Skeggs? I did my HSC in 1971. You know what, Gary? You know, in this era when we're trying to be inclusive of transgender people or gender diversity, yeah, I still think of myself as an old girl. I really right. do. But I'm wondering we need to move to alumni, you know, because it's gender. Yeah, new. yeah, that's a good that's question. A isn't it? That is a good question. We um, we have had quite a few students talk about that. And, you know, when I, uh, at the beginning of chapel, that I do most days, I'll say good morning, everyone, instead of good morning, girls, or just to be aware of those things. And, and you know, the students are really good in addressing that. They're never, they've never been aggressive about it, but they've mm. always gone, you know, it might be good to say this, or did you know that such and such is non-binary or whatever the, the term might be. So I think that is a good, a good suggestion. What I notice, if I could just say, because I've worked over the years as a professional MC, like for years. Yes. And I still now do, um, you know, live webinars in this era of, you know, COVID and post-COVID. And I am so used to saying, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I find it quite hard. And people, yeah. as you say, gently pick me up. And I'm trying to say, welcome everyone. Or, or sometimes I say, ladies and gentlemen and everyone, because there, it's a lifetime of habit and almost rhythm, if you know yes, what I mean. Yes, that's right. But you don't actually, uh, those terms, ladies and gentlemen, we they're not common terms that we use these days, are they? Not at all. Yeah. Do you do much of that? Any Still doing a lot of that, that type yeah. of interviewing and asking people questions? and Yeah, definitely. I, like I'm, I'm 69 in October. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm an older woman, but I, I describe myself as a part-time worker or semi-retired. So, right. um, and, you know, I have a history of working on radio and television in the yeah. past. Um, but like a lot of ABC people, because I mainly worked for the ABC just a couple of years with Network 10, mm -hmm. um, but like a lot of ABC people, we earn additional funds by... Um, uh, running panel discussions or emceeing conferences. And for me, that's mainly been a sort of intellectual because yeah, I've got a, right. a law degree and an arts degree. So it's it's often about health, education, people with disabilities, child protection. So it takes yeah, right. serious topics. 
Um, and either uh, it used to be um, at conferences, um, either doing the whole conference or just a session with a, an interactive discussion with audience participation where I run around the room with a little microphone. And these days it's webinars. So right. I probably do something like I don't know, about 15 webinars a year now. Um, oh, good on you. Uh, uh, you, again, usually in the health or legal area, but not exclusively. And right. now I make quite a lot of little videos, either about cancer on a voluntary basis, because you know I'm a cancer survivor. Mm. But uh, right now I'm, uh, but some of it's paid work. So um, I'm doing some at the moment about the rights of patients when they go into hospital uh, uh, or see any doctor in the community. There, there's actually a thing called the Australian Charter of Healthcare Rights. Yeah, um, that's connected to how hospitals and other health services are registered. And so I've interviewed uh, 14 people about them, mainly patients, uh, some widows, so partners of people that didn't make it, um, and also doctors about this charter of rights and how you can put it into practice. Yeah, so that's a, it'll take me a few months to finish that job. Do you, do you still enjoy it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean... I'm not a person with a great big lump of soup because I've been a bit freewheeling in my life, a lot of <laughs> self-employment. But um, I, I am definitely working, but like so long as I can work, I'll work. Yeah. I'm one of those people. Yeah. I enjoy my work. It gives me meaning and purpose. Mm. Mm. And, and it also, it gives me energy and engagement. You know, like everyone, as you get older in particular, there's endless evidence that it's so important to stay connected and active in the world. Um, for your mental and physical health. And you do that very well. You know, often when I've seen you do these types of things or you've been interviewing other people, uh, you see, it seems to come very naturally. So do you do much preparation or research? But Because often it looks like you're just there inquiring for yourself in a way. Listen, I'm a skeks girl. You know, <laughs> what... Um, I always say, you know, say, what did you get from Skeggs? I mean, my whole, I got so much I got from Skeggs, but one absolute thing I got from Skeggs uh, is answer the question, like when you're in any form of, um, well, I'm trying to do that now with you, but <laughs> but in everything, particularly any form of assessment, but yeah. also preparation. I do tons of preparation in, right. in order to relax. So the classic thing I would do would be to interview three or four people live yeah. Um, so this recent job, it's always good to talk about examples. So with this recent job about the Australian Charter of Healthcare Rights, I interviewed four people for each video and I did them as live. So in other words, I invited them onto a screen. In I was in a professional studio. Some of them were in the studio with me. Some of them were on Zoom, like we're yeah. talking now with a professional filmmaker. And I had read about them, I'd pre, I'd worked out the aims and trigger questions with my client, which mm -hmm. was a consumer health group about what's the purpose of the videos, what you want them to achieve. They all had to be exactly 27 and a half minutes long. Right. I won't bore you with why, but that was exact. Right. And I then rang each of the people and spoke to them for about an hour about the issues and identified with them what were the three or four critical things I wanted to talk about. And then I draw up an A4 sheet with four sections on it and I put dot points about the key things to get from each person plus their titles wow. to introduce them. Right. And then I did 27 minutes live, like as if live. But it doesn't come across that way. When, As I said, <laughs> you look 
Very natural. It looks like you, and I think you do. I'm not saying you don't, but it looks like you have a genuine interest in these people. But also you seem to have a way of, it's, it's more than just information that you're trying to get out of them. You, you, As you said before, it's something about making those connections with people and bringing out something about them as well. Would that be right? Thanks, Gary. That's very much right. Very much right. You know, I do all that prep just not because I'm a Skeggs trained nerd, even mm. though I am. <laughs> you know, I did learn a culture of hard work at Skeggs and trying your best every time at Skeggs. And I, I value that. I, that's why I was thrilled when my uh, stepdaughter, Amelia Woods, was able to go and my niece, uh, you know, has was, was gone, Rachel McCrossan. And uh, my granddaughter is is you know on the on the waiting list and she's oh, wow. yet three. Well, whether she gets there or not will be to do with the lives of you know Amelia and her husband, which who knows what will unfold. But but you know I clearly value it. You know, mm. um, but but it's not just that. I, it, by doing all that work when I'm work doing this sort of thing like you're doing now, I can relax yeah. and really listen because yeah. I'm sure you've found that with these podcasts the, the key is to really listen yeah that's right and, and and to care yeah yeah and it is it's very uh, as you said you know it's very interesting finding out about things but also finding out I think more so for me finding out about people and why they do what they do what's important and their purpose uh, and as you were saying before you know doing keeping this work up and your purpose and keeping some sort of purpose have you always had, have you, has that sense of purpose, sort of changing tack a little bit, has that sense of purpose maintained itself throughout your life? Has it been different? Has it been about people or has it been about, I mean, I'm sure there's been many things, been about career? I don't think of myself as about career. Uh, and, and you can ask me about that if you wish. But um, I, I Oh, you know, I feel like, except in a in a very troubled period between eighteen and twenty four, and even where, where I got very muddled up for a while, mm. um, I think I've had a very consistent focus on, you know, on the values I learned at Skeggs, and by that I guess. Uh, you know, skiing's in the '60s was very different to now, as I'm sure you've heard. I mean, yeah. quality of teaching and the professionalism of the teaching was extremely variable. You know, so in other words, some some of the teachers could teach and some couldn't. Right. The truth be told, but I, I, I was. But what was consistent was, oh, I don't know, a, a, a real what I'd call a kind of grassroots New Testament faith. You know, I I, I feel like the that sense that we were privileged people, uh, there was a tremendous commitment to education. Mm. Even the teachers who didn't really have a, a teacher skills, they de they definitely cared about their subject and yeah. were trying to teach yeah. They just did some quirky things. Um, but there was a, a really, um, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the good mm. Samaritan, um, love thy neighbour, uh, uh, back then it was called charity work. I think you think you call it social justice. Community whatever. service. Social Community justice. service. You know, that was all really sincere. And uh, I took it on board. It wasn't only Skeggs. I had been lucky to 
uh, go to, uh, I went to uh, Kambala for my infant school. Uh, so the prep school, first, second and third class. And I was also very involved with a, a parish. We lived in Vaucluse then. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I had a minister called the Reverend Bathgate and a choir mistress called Lynette Sicily. And uh, my mum was a young mum struggling a bit. My dad was a hardworking dentist with a practice in Hurstville in the far southern suburbs. So mum spent a lot of time alone with kids mm. and she'd had health issues as a younger woman. And this minister, you know, in those days it was home visiting. Yeah, yeah. And he came to the door and he transformed my mother's life, involved her in the parish and uh, gave me access to some very loving men and women who really, really cared. And um, so that parish experience was very positive. It was, uh, it, the school was very similar. Choral music was big at Kambala and it was at that parish. Yeah. And then we moved out to the southern suburbs where dad was a dentist. But there I went, I was at a public school called Ballface Public for three years. Again, it was a great school. N none of the faith stuff was there, but we went to a local Anglican church. And mm -hmm. then I travelled from there, you know, hours to and from Skeggs for years, you know. And um, so it reinforced those original messages. So, I, you know, these days we hear a lot of negative things about the church Mm. I find quite heartbreaking, and obviously there's been huge problems with child sexual assault, not just in the Catholic Church. No, that's right. Um, but that I didn't have any of that. I had people that were just um, really sincere and, and great role models. Yeah. So I think I've had a focus on on meaning and purpose, and oh, it sounds so nerdy, but it's sincere, trying to make the world yeah. a better place. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Consistently, and even in my uh, discombobulated years between 18 and 24 when I had a problem with alcohol, I still uh, was involved in sort of wild activism, if you know, like women's liberation, land rights, gay liberation. It was the mm. 70s were an era of a lot of protest, and I was involved with that and went too far at times. But having said that, it was still trying to make the world a better place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you've always had that sense of justice, haven't you? Like the, uh, social justice, justice for for the underprivileged or the marginalised. Did that come from your church involvement, or did that? Do you think that came from somewhere else, from your family, or is it just part of you? Look, I've given that a lot of thought, Gary, and and because I because obviously when I hit uni in nineteen seventy, I went to Sydney Uni in nineteen seventy two and started off in our arts law, and didn't finish the law. Back in the 90s, did law again at New South Wales. But my, my point being, I got very involved with the, the left, you know, yeah. and and I've often thought, you know, was it my exposure to Marxism, God help me, because I have a critique <laughs> of authoritarianism, if you know what I mean. I didn't yeah. like the authoritarianism of it. But that idea of of justice and fairer sharing. Yeah. Um, I've always, I still feel that. I just approach it differently. Like I'd yeah. like a different tax policy, <laughs> you know, which yeah, is still the same thing in the end. Yeah. Tax is how we share, you know. Yeah. And I've really, really thought about it. And I am confident that it's come from the faith, that those right. parables, particularly the parables of Jesus, because I, I've even partly earned money um, teaching people how to give presentations. And you feel like saying, just read the New Testament, you know. <laughs> I mean, seriously, those stories, which you must 
teach all the time mm. with all children and young people of all different ages, but they communicate the core values. Yeah. Um, and some of the New Testament stories are very are not so straightforward. Um, but that complexity is interesting. You know, if you share good quality stories, yeah. there can be diverse nuances and yeah. Adults will take something, kindergarten yeah. and infants will yeah, take something, definitely. high school will take something. Yeah. So I do I I think that my engagement with the left and its notion of redistribution of wealth, um, inclusion and fairness uh, to migrant people, uh the need for justice for our First Nations people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Yeah. That I, I think that uh, I embraced that so readily because I already had yeah, um, right. the values of faith. A and definitely my parents uh, were uh, active in uh, faith related, uh, in social justice sort of activities. Will I tell you a quick example of that? Sure, I'd love for you to. Well, well, mum and dad had both seen active service in the Second World War. Mum was a right. Londoner and in the Women's Auxiliary Air Force, the WAF, called up at 18 working on an air base in, in southern England, and Dad was in, an Australian who trained to be joined the Air Force as a volunteer, trained to be a pilot in Canada, and then flew a bomber in Bomber Command, wow. and they met on an air base. So coming back to after the war and mum's come out mm. in a big ship full of brides and they're mm. madly having five kids perhaps a little bit too quickly, perhaps something you identify with yourself. But anyway... <laughs> um, Dad worked for Legacy, you know, which is a, a charity that helps veterans. So he became a dentist. And Dad was always involved in working for Legacy. Right. My mother, through particularly through her connection with Neville Bathgate, that reverend at yeah. uh, Wentworth Memorial Church in Vaucluse, she got involved in a whole range of charitable things, some of them to do with the arts. So, yes, I did have the role model in the family as yeah. well. Yeah, and that's important, isn't it? I think when you're talking about faith, and your experience of the church and the role models that you had, uh, it is very important because, as you said, again, the church gets a lot of bad press and, you know, often for good reason uh, because of the people in some of the churches and some of the people who are running the churches as well. So having that role model uh, is important. Do you see yourself as a role model for faith? Because I know we've spoken a lot about faith you know, over the years, and I think uh, I think in some ways, you know, our approach to faith is fairly similar, different different roads, but but fairly similar in our thinking. So it's yeah, do you... Gary, I've certainly heard a lot of your sermons. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I've been influenced in a good way. <laughs> no, no, definitely. So yeah, do you, do you see yourself the way that you the way that you think about, not necessarily, not necessarily your actions or the things that you've done, but the, you know the way that you approach God, the way that you approach spirituality, the pro the way that you approach Christianity. Do you think that is? Do you think other people have been influenced by that? Hard question, I know. It's a very <laughs> hard question. Um, I, you know, obviously, I don't know I, I, if. It's a, it's a very interesting question. Well, I just have a go. I don't have a. Sure. Yeah. I don't have a. I'm just having a go. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I, I 
my faith has been a very private matter until relatively recently. Mm. And, and that was because I've known really since I was a teenager that I thought I was probably gay. Mm. And that was so unacceptable. Um, as you know, I, I put a question in when I was in second year of high school, year eight uh, at Skeggs, uh, ask an anonymous question in a question box the minister at the time had about, about you know, about homosexuality, and I was told it was completely unacceptable. And and because, um, so I, I just zipped my lips and, and uh, was very anxious, and I only ever really talked to one person about it, a woman, Sophie Inwood, who's my still my closest friend and my and we're you know in se speak several times a week all these mm, years fantastic which is amazing but yeah. um and, and so she you know she uh, was a very important person in my life I'll simply say that but see I I loved school and um I I uh, you know I had boyfriends like I just proceeded thinking I, I didn't know what to do with that part of myself yeah, but, yeah. but when I um got to university, uh, I gay liberation, as it was called back then, but it, there was just the beginning of women's liberation, but also just before women's liberation, when a book called The Female Eunuch was published, that we heard that over in New York, there'd been a kind of riot uh, in Christopher Street in New York, where um, the police had raided a gay bar and pe people had had said, no, it's enough. We, we, we we shouldn't be arrested just because we're gathering together. Remembering that homosexuality then for men was against the law. It was mm. considered a mental illness and uh, and it was also obviously considered utterly against God's will, which is what I've been told. And so there was this new movement of people saying, no, this is a normal part of, of, of the sexual spectrum. Mm. Um, I won't go on more about that now. I'll simply say uh, when I heard that in 72, 73, I, I determined to fight for change and I wanted to de I wanted to fight for decriminalization because men were literally getting arrested and and there was obviously prejudi prejudicial attitudes to women yeah uh, as well um and people men were having um you know what do you call it uh, you know going to psychiatrist and trying to change and yeah, I won't go into like all of that but it was, therapy not yeah thank you aversion therapy and and we were completely unwelcome in any mosque, synagogue, or mm, church. Mm. So you could see it was a, not an easy situation. And I was prepared to fight everywhere except the church. Uh, this is just a very personal thing I'm saying. I just couldn't face the thought of struggling in the church. Yeah, I just couldn't. Uh, uh, even though I I got arrested fighting for change of the yeah. law and yeah. change of uh, uh, the health. There's, there's a thing called the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. It's a, a manual put out by the uh, psychiatrist in the United States that says what is and is not a mental illness and it has the criteria. And yeah. so we were fighting to have homosexuality removed from that manual, which we yeah. ultimately did. But what I decided to do was to keep coming to Skeg. So for many years, Gary, my involvement with as as a as a as a worshipper, was to keep coming to Skeggs, which of course, as old girls now alumni, we were very much invited to do. And yeah. and as you would know, I've been really involved with Skeggs. Yeah. I've actively engaged with Skeggs ever since I left. Yeah, I know, which is quite amazing. There, you know, I've, 
I've, act- I've actively not involved myself with my school since I left. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was always made welcome. I, yeah. You know, I, I was always made well, other than that issue with the um that back in year eight or year, what do you call it now? Yeah, year eight. I, I have been welcome. I mean, you've always made me welcome. Mm. Um I've had three principals make me welcome. Yeah. Just just quickly on the gay thing. Uh, um uh how many principals back off doesn't matter. I remember when I was first asked to go on television as an on-street reporter for the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras. It used to be on television and get over yeah, yeah, people. Yeah. So I'm talking back in the 90s. Yeah. And I went, uh, I was asked to speak at, a, at an anniversary for Skeggs. It was going to be at Randwick. Um, and so it was I was going to be in front of like hundreds of Skeggs people. And then by chance I was asked to be an on-street reporter for the Mardi Gras for the ABC, I think it was going to be a week or two after. So I went to the then principal of Skeets and I said, look, I just want you to know I've been asked to speak at this anniversary, but a couple of weeks later I'm going to be on television and I'll probably Mm. be interviewing drag queens and being terribly enthusiastic about (laughs) um, homosexuality. And if that's embarrassing to the school, Mm. I'm more than happy to withdraw. So that tells you something about me too, right? Yeah, yeah. And the principal just said, Actually, we, you know, we will always be proud to have you mm. as a, um, a member of the Skeggs community and uh, and uh, and you being on the television for Mardi Gras will improve our relationships with the Darlinghurst community. Oh, isn't that lovely? That's isn't fantastic. That amazing? And, and that's been my experience all along. As you yeah. know, I was on the board for quite a lot of years. So yeah, I haven't laboured the point about being openly gay, but nor have I. No. Hidden it. I just—it's just part of who I am. That's and right. The world has changed around me, to be perfectly honest. That's right. And I think that whole idea—you know—it's interesting what you're saying about the church and about the school as well. You know, you're coming back to the school because you feel welcome, and also, I guess there's a sense of safety around it as well. Is that right? Definitely. Uh, yeah. My one regret, Gary, because so it meant I only took communion once or twice a year. If you think about it, right? Yeah. Uh, look, I've, I don't know if you realise how serious this was for me. You know, Skeggs was where I came for communion. And if you're sincere about being a Christian, communion is a very important thing. Yeah. You know? um, what happened to me about 13 years ago, 13, 14 years ago, is a, a very dear friend, a woman called Dorothy McCray McMahon, who's a, re- a retired reverend in the Uniting Church, who had been married and had four children, happily married and had four children, and then later in life she fell in love with a woman and started a relationship with that woman called Ali, who sadly has subsequently died of of brain cancer. But Dorothy became very, she was in a very senior position in the Uniting Church, and she came out openly about her sexuality, and she uh, became an advocate for the inclusion and acceptance of let's use the expression rainbow people because there are too many letters, but, you know, mm. gay lesbian people within the Uniting Church. The Uniting Church now is the only church, as I understand it, where uh, gay and lesbian people, transgender people too, can be ordained, uh, fully accepted. We can be married in the Uniting Church. Mm. They leave it up to each individual parish whether they wish to. So they they leave freedom there for the individual parish which I think is a great solution to these strong feelings for and against. Um, So why am I telling you about Dorothy? Well, I heard that Dorothy had cancer. And 
I knew she went to South Sydney Uniting Church. So with my partner, Melissa, I went along one Sunday just to wish her well, just to say, I do hope you survive cancer. Yeah, yeah. And I found myself at a church where most of the people aren't gay, but there were gay people there. There yeah. were transgender people there. Yeah. And everybody was welcome. There were people with obvious mental illness there. There were poor people there. There were yeah. affluent people there because it's in Redfern, so there's mm. gentrification as well as poverty. Yeah. And I just burst into tears and just sobbed. And I thought, wow. my God, there's somewhere I can come. Yeah. And the minister, uh, Andrew Collis, has an Anglican background. Yeah, but right. he's been ordained in the Uniting Church. So the liturgy was quite familiar to me. The hymns were familiar, the structure yeah. and formality. Uh, so oddly enough, I felt really at home. That's and great, I've been going there regularly ever since. So it was like it was like your approach to Skeggs, I'm guessing, it, like being able to feeling welcome, feeling it safe. Was, it was welcome. I just it was safety and sincere welcome. I mm. I look back and I think, why did I wait? so long um but there you go i can't change that i mm. there was just about it i felt so vulnerable i just couldn't face rejection from the church well it's a risk isn't it it's a it's a massive risk to walk into a place and wonder whether you're going to be accepted or not um and you know just as you were talking i was thinking what and you can answer this if you want to but what uh you know, you could have given up. It didn't sound like you gave up because I know people, I've got friends who are gay and lesbian or transgender who uh, were Christian, um, came out and then decided they couldn't be Christian anymore uh, because it was just too difficult and they had these beliefs that God would reject them and the church would reject them and all of that, which is very, very sad, I think. Um, and, and they're not fears. It it happens, you know. It happens. That's right. Because I've been open for so long publicly, I've had a literally a stream of women and men, often in their twenties, often in their twenties or early thirties, mm. from Christian families who are active in their parish, not just Anglicans, others as well. I prefer mm. the Church of England, to be honest with you. Um, who are for whom it is utterly unacceptable, not only in their parish, but for their family. Yes. And, that, and I offer a kind of beacon of hope in that, you know, you were saying, have I influenced anyone? I think I, I've influenced those individuals because I will always meet them for a coffee and share my approach. Yeah. And in more recent years, since I, I guess I've felt, I suppose, I well, for whatever reason, I've thought, no, Jules, start to be a little bit more public about your faith. Because um, it helps people. So I think in more recent years through Facebook, through social media, you know, Facebook, I'm active on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter in particular, mainly around uh, cancer-related stuff and just personal fun stuff. Yeah. Now I have become more outgoing about faith. I, I share just life in my parish basically. Yeah, yeah. And that's just to offer people a little bit of, of hope. That's um, good, isn't it? And I think that's fantastic. Without Skeggs, I would have been lost. Can you see how important Skeggs is? Because yeah. Skeggs is a, 
If Skeks is unusual, I think Jenny Allen is unusual, <laughs> if I could get specific in that. Unusual in a good way. Very she... much so. I, I mean, I, was, I think so in a lot of ways, Gary, to be honest with you. I think she's a brilliant principal who's clearly led the school to a level of, um, I think she has a deep commitment to making girls feel welcome and safe. Yeah. And 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 a great commitment to educational achievement, which I, I I love the intellectual, I almost say ferocity of Skeggs, but I don't know what other people would say. But I I've always felt Skeggs put the bar just a little bit higher than I was, yes, or, I and I had to constantly reach up. But I also think um, we welcome girls of or pe people students <laughs> of, of um, diverse intellectual capacity, and through our co-curricular and our spiritual um, mm. pastoral mm. care, I think everybody can have a great run at skeets. Possibly harder for girls who aren't good, really good intellectually, that I would have to get your own opinion on, you know, mm. um, because there's definitely a great, um, you know, we do achieve very highly yeah, uh, and not everyone can do that, you know, yeah. for all sorts of reasons. But yeah. um, It sounds to me like the, the impact of the community itself like you enjoyed the lessons, you enjoyed learning, you enjoyed the academic rigor, but the community, I'll just let the bell ring, here we are at Skeggs. <laughs> the the community itself had an impact on the person you were, person you are, person you've become, I guess. Very much so, Gary. Mm. Yeah, very. Like, and, I, and I'm still, um, like when I had cancer just over 10 years ago, Jenny, in that sort of amazing way, the actual year in which I was treated, so I had stage four throat cancer and nearly died. I was really unwell. Mm. I lost 20, over 20 kilograms in six weeks, just to give the listener a sense I was very unwell. A lot of radiation and chemotherapy. Um, uh, Jenny asked me to speak at speech night that same year yeah, because right. very sadly a mother had died of cancer within the school. Yeah, community. I remember that, yeah. Remember that? And I said, yeah. gee, goodness, you know, because the responsibility I felt to the girls and to the school community, the, you, know, you can imagine, you know. Yeah, it's pretty And uh, I, I, that was an, a, an enormous honour. I had been asked to do speech not once before when I was on a comedy quiz show in the 90s, uh, but this was 2013. And, um, yeah, that was one of the biggest. I really put a lot of work into that, but my reason for mentioning it is, my, I had I had been regularly meeting a group of girls that I went to school with once a month for several years, because one of us, a dear girl I sat next to called Suryong Rajnavabal, a, a, a Chinese Thai girl, who we I sat next to her in everything for almost all my high school life. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah. Um. Uh, and uh, she had got a very unusual condition and sadly died. But in the months and months, several months, lots of months, a couple of years before she died, a group of our close friends from school, we'd all met with her once a month for lunch to give her company and um, accompany her on her journey to death, basically. Oh, wow. And then after she died, we kept having lunch. And amazingly, two other girls from that group, these were all girls I was at school with, in the class with, <laughs> Uh, have subsequently died, which statistically mm. is very unusual if you mm. think. Of it. Yeah, yeah, and that's small. Um, but uh, a, a lot of a number of those girls were Jewish, so we didn't share the same faith, yeah. but shared the culture of and and, and, and Greek Orthodox as well. So anyway, it was a multi-faith kind of yeah, culture. yeah. But that you can see that that care and um, 
that caring culture and that closeness yeah. had survived for decades. Yeah, yeah, and that's good, isn't it? And I think I'm just wondering how much of that, like a lot of what you've just talked about, you know, here are people from different faiths brought into this community who might not have the same sort of literal beliefs, not coming from the same sacred text or traditions, but sharing something. And then also you talked about the people who reach out to you from the homosexual community uh, who are involved in churches but want some hope. It sounds like, to me, it sounds like there is, the, obviously all people are searching and there's some sort of connection in that searching, isn't there? Yes. There's some sort of connection in, if even if you remove the, the uh the thoughts about mortality out of it or the homosexuality out of it, there's still at the core of it, there's this sort of searching within all of us that connects us somehow. Is that what you found maybe at South Sydney Uniting, maybe at Skeggs as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Gary, to me, uh, faith isn't, um, you know, by their works you shall know them. I'm still in the, you know, the, uh, help me, the King James Version of the Bible. I tend to go into the old thou and thee and all that sort of stuff but you know um to me faith isn't a sort of intellectual isolated reflection it's mm -hmm. not like that mm -hmm. faith is connection yeah faith is you know dorothy mccray mcmahon is, is, is it's a woman of this retired reverend who is now in aged care but her daughter still brings her to south sydney church every sunday wow. you know she now has some cognitive deficit, but our minister, we have two older women, each with some cognitive issues. Uh, another woman is called Pamela Briggs, and she was married for over 30 years to a Baptist minister, so a Baptist really? minister's wife with all those duties, you can imagine, and she's now 95. Dorothy's in her late 80s. Well, our Reverend Andrew Collis actually organises the, the worship so that both those women can lead portions of the liturgy. He oh, has well. very participatory and he's yeah. adapted. And if for, if there's any um, cognitive moment, he just steps in and um, assists. It, yeah, right. Imagine the hope that gives. The, yeah, that's right. Because the that's deep, Sorry, you go. Well, you know, that deep respect, that deep love in action. So yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to convey is my faith is about is about the parish life. That's what I loved. Yeah. That minister all those years ago, I was only in I was in preschool when Reverend Neville Bathgate at Wentworth Memorial Church in Vaucluse knocked on Mum's door and said, "You know, can I help you?" And he really needed to help. My mum had mental yeah. health issues, and yeah. um, uh, so. I, when I was denied, I was—I didn't leave the church. The church slammed its door in my faith. Yeah. It's still doing that. The Uniting Church and the Quakers are the only people who make us welcome. Wow. It's that simple. Um, so Skeggs gave me the community connected to faith that I yearned for. And the fact that it was kind of ecumenical in the sense that we, my friend Suryong, wasn't a Christian. She was mm. from a Brooks tradition. Um, my closest friend Sophie was the daughter of Holocaust survivors. Uh, she was a cultural Jewish person um, uh, and, and still is, but with deep respect. Um, uh, you know, we have a big Greek. We've always had Greek members of the Greek community at Skeets, mm -hmm. uh, and so that's Greek Orthodox. I personally would like to see that representation on the board. Yeah, I, right. I see that as a great strength. 
because what we have is there's more to life than <laughs> what we can touch. Yeah. No, and, right. and God is present when we help each other, when we are together. Yeah. And I think your approach, which I've always admired, is that, you know, that this God is for all people. And, you know, we going back to that whole idea of the search and wanting to understand what we might call the sacred, you know, it's deep in everyone, isn't it? I believe so. And I, I feel, you know, when two or three people are gathered in my name, I am there. It was always about the coming together. Um, and I want my grandchildren, you know, I, I well, let me put it, I won't make it so personal as I'm commenting on others, but, I, I mean, I do want my grandchildren to participate. <laughs> um, it, um, I want them to know the biblical stories. Yeah. And I, I feel that um, all those families that um, are, are hostile to faith and impose that on their children I, i'm really sorry you know at one level i appeal to them on the intellectual level you know you how do you understand the arts if you don't how do you go to an art gallery anywhere in the world and know yeah. what's happening if you don't know the bible stories and arguably the the stories of islam of buddhism you know depending on which tradition yeah. of theater and arts yeah. uh, poetry you, you know you can you can spread it out but I, 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 it saddens me when uh, parents impose their views, either politically or in faith terms. I, yeah, yeah. At Skeggs, I learned I had to be able to argue for and against any position. You know, debating was one of the best things I ever did. Yeah, and, good. You know, where you have to learn. And, and with all, I infuriated Amelia Woods, my stepdaughter who went to Skeggs <laughs> and her brother, Luke, by never answering a question. I'd only ask them more questions. <laughs> Uh, you know, is that the Socratic method? But I still oh. do. I still drive them mad. I, I make them look <laughs> things up in the dictionary and I just ask more questions. That's a political method, isn't it? <laughs> you never <laughs> well, answer any questions. But but because, you know, the truth is our major political parties in Australia have more in common uh, than they have uh, different. <laughs> and and we, the world needs, uh, yearns for a more civil and peaceful culture and, yeah. and we won't achieve peace within the family setting or without, the, you know, it, we, we need civility and courtesy and kindness and mm. compassion everywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to finish off, you you draw on your, well, as you can see from this conversation, and I think every time I've spoken to you, you, you do draw a lot on your experience and, your, and people you've met, which I think, you know, you think everyone would do that, but I don't think everyone does do that. Uh, and it seems from those experiences, and you talked about role models, different things that you've been involved in, that's been part, of, is is that part of your learning? Is that part of your search as well? Not intentionally, but well, your it's own? Very, it's very intentional. Uh, right. You know, the one thing I haven't mentioned is that, I gave up drinking altogether back in 1979. And I did that through a range of ways. So I haven't drunk alcohol or taken drugs at all. <laughs> it's 1979, which puts me into a relatively small group of people. But I, my behaviour changed when I drank and I didn't want a bar of it, right? Mm. Now, why do I mention that? Because I've sought help from psychologists, from psychiatrists, 
but I, but also from a self-help movement that had a uh, a spiritual dimension. Um, and it, it's something that I don't talk about because that that group encourages you just to to not share it at a public level. And I'm speaking publicly now, but um, it's my experience that um, well that that has influenced me as much as Skeggs in that it has provided another community, just as at Skeggs through teachers and members of my student body and the parent body over the years, other members of the board, I've been attracted to the quality of values and life that I've seen in them and that I've sought to emulate them. Mm. So in this not picking up a drink or a drug for my whole life, I've sought to know people who do that and are happy and who yeah, live right. productive lives and then to emulate them. Yeah. Um, and I've applied that principle in, in my work. I look to journalists who uh, I always try to bring hope. As I know our time is up, but I'll simply say, if you look at the work that I've done, it's so much about child sexual assault prevention of, mm. sexual assault prevention of, yeah. promoting health. Um, an early diagnosis of cancer or living as best we can with access to palliative care and support to face death should we have no choice but to do yeah. so, which I, you know, I have to face, my, uh, face myself. Um, I always try to bring warmth and hope mm. and, and humour, not in terms of jokes, but more like humour as a resilience mechanism and even, I'll just perhaps close on this, but even when I'm faced with faith leaders whom I deeply disagree with, and I yeah. have uh, had the opportunity to sit at a table uh, with the former Archbishop Jensen uh, in the context of talking about refugees and the support for refugees. So we're on common territory where there was a desire to assist uh, asylum seekers mm. with the Australian context. But I took that opportunity to express my regret at the uh, suggestion that the only way forward for a gay and lesbian person was to have no relationships, sexual relationships or partners for life. Right. That is what the Sydney Anglicans actually advocate and many other faith groups, which I consider a cruel and inhumane ask. Mm. <laughs> um, but I didn't, I wasn't rude. I endeavoured to use the intellectual skills that I gained at Skeggs and have endeavoured to hone since to put a fair and heartfelt case mm. and to shake hands yeah. because it's only I don't want what's happening in Ukraine. No, and, that's right. And, uh, you know, perhaps growing up with two parents who's, who've been in war, I know that peace matters. Yeah. Well, good on you, Julie. Look, I, I reckon I could. I reckon I could talk to you for hours, but <laughs> but no, it's been wonderful. Thank you very much for um, giving us the time and being so being so personal. You know, you, you've you've made yourself quite vulnerable. No, you oh, no, have. Thanks, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't think you realise it's not. It's not always easy for people to do this. And as I mean, I'm sure you've had a billion times more experience than what I have. But um, yeah, you know, just doing these podcasts. It, it's not always easy for people to be vulnerable. And I don't expect people to. I don't want to force people to. But uh, I appreciate you that you have have done that. 
Now, thanks, Gary. Thank you so much. I, I you know, I, it's so great you're doing the podcast. Good on you. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I do enjoy it. And thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you have any questions or got any feedback, you can send it to me. I'm sure I can pass it on to Julie as well. But take care. Hope to see you around and look after yourselves. Bye.